Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. Howdy folks and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. I want to do a little quick house cleaning, you might say. Just a, a little update on one of my products. I want to get this out of the way. For those of you who may have taken a look at the product that I offer called the mandolin treasure chest. And there is a, there's a complete bonus episode where I talk in great length about that particular thing, but just very quickly, it is a collection of 24 beginner and intermediate video lessons to learn to play the mandolin along with, it was nine of my eBooks, instructional courses, everything from the mandolin handbook, beginning mandolin instruction course, master class, training camp, mandolin excursion, uh, just all this stuff. Um, and I, I just want to mention that I've made a slight change to it uh, because that entire collection was nearly four gigabytes of material. I was discovering that some people with certain versions of Windows were having trouble unzipping the file because apparently Windows didn't like unzipping uh, files that were greater than two gigabytes. So I found a workaround for that. I've had the instructions on the site for a while, the solution to that. But, but I got to thinking I could make this a lot simpler if I broke the entire four gigabytes into four parts. So it, it's still basically the same product, although I have added in the I tossed in the Jam Session Survival Mobile Edition. I put went ahead and stuck that in there too. So now it's actually ten eBooks and twenty four video lessons. It's it's still more or less the same product, but instead of downloading one single zip file with everything in it, now it is four zip files. So I just broke them into four different folders so that a person could download, you know, part one. And in fact, already unzip it and be using part one while they're waiting on part two to download. So essentially I just broke the big monster into four, four parts that are each approximately a gigabyte each. So hopefully that will make that, um, you know, the downloading process a little easier for those of you who want to dive into the mandolin treasure chest. And I've just, while I'm on that subject, I will mention too that those 24 videos, I had a guy uh, send me an email and say, Hey, I got your mail on treasure chest. And in fact, he was an old banjo student of mine from back, oh, five or six years ago. He was taking banjo lessons from me and he, he bought the mail and treasure chest. And then he wrote me and he said, I got your mail and treasure chest, but I noticed it did not, it doesn't have the pentatonic improv one two, three, and, and he started listing some of the lessons, the video lessons that it did not contain. And I wrote him back and I said, you know, well, it contains the 24 lessons that I said it contains, but I have a lot more lessons than that. So what I did is I put all the beginner and part of the intermediate ones in there 
because I was once again limited by that file size. I, I just couldn't cram in any more into that thing. So what I've decided to do for those, um, you know, for the intermediate player or the person that just wants to have everything, you know, if you want to have every video lesson I ever did, I'm right now um, organizing the all of the remaining video lessons into a, a kind of a, I don't know what I'm going to call it yet, you know, treasure chest addendum or something. But anyway, if, if somebody works their way through all 24 of those and they want to buy the additional ones, and I think it's maybe 13 or 14 more lessons. So I'm going to be putting that out too for those that want to have absolutely every mandolin video lesson that I've ever created. So anyway, enough talk about the mandolin treasure chest. I want to get into today something that is a bit of a contradiction. And of course, life is full of contradictions. And uh, some of the best advice you'll ever get is contradictory. You know, you can find old sayings that, you know, a stitch in time saves nine uh, or haste makes waste. You know, so which is it? You're like, you know, should I hurry or should I take my time? <laughs> it's like life is just full of contradictions and so is advice for musicians. I give contradictory um, advice all the time because in many cases, both bits of advice are true in certain contexts. So I want to talk about there is a tendency among musicians to they have kind of a being, you might say they're prone to obsessiveness. And that if you have that sort of, you know, personality where you tend to obsess over things and you tend to like get tunnel vision and get completely wrapped up in things, it's been my experience that people who sort of naturally have that, that personality style, they tend to make good progress as musicians. Because there is no question that to become a really proficient musician takes a lot of practice, a lot of hard work, a lot of dedication, a lot of time. I'm not going to deny that in this episode, but I'm going to kind of contradict that a little bit because I think you, everybody's heard the, you know, the old joke of, you know, how do you get to Carnegie Hall practice? Well, and you know, Practice, practice, practice. What, you know, practice makes perfect and all this stuff. And I don't want to take away from the truth in that statement because there is truth in it. If you don't practice and if you're unwilling to practice, you're never going to be a musician. Okay. End of story. That's true. But I think you can obsess over it and at times... And I'm not saying people do this all the time. You know, some people probably do, but sometimes you can become so obsessed with the idea of practice, 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 that it may actually harm your playing. So I'm just going to give you some thoughts on, on what I mean here when I say, Hey man, give it a rest, take a break. And here's what I'm, what I'm getting at. If you're practicing a lot and I recommend that you practice a lot, I do, 
Practice helps your play. Okay. But I think for, for a lot of people, a lot of their practice time is wasted or potentially wasted. Some people practice in ways that are very effective and other people don't. There's a tendency among students, uh, my, I'm saying this from my experience of observing my own private lesson students to equate practice time with practice effectiveness. And they're not the same at all. There is some overlap. There is some similarity. I mean, as I'm saying, more time generally yields better results, especially if you're on the low end of the spectrum, because God, you know, if I could get a student to practice two hours a week, you know, I feel like they would continue to make progress, but some people won't even do that. You know, some people take lessons just for something to do, you know, and I've talked about that in other, other lessons. So I'm not really going to make the case for, you know, practice, 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 practice in this lesson. I want to kind of take the opposite side of that and maybe all that practicing, it could be hurting your playing. And how's that possible? Well, you might be practicing poorly. You may be reinforcing things in your playing by doing them over and over and over and over and over every day, every day. I'm going to practice, practice, practice until I'm great. Well, you might actually be just getting, be getting better at being rotten. Do you see what I'm saying? It's what you practice and how you practice that counts in addition to time, how, how much is, is important. But if you do something the wrong way, and I'm putting wrong in quotes, if you do something in the inefficient way over and over and over and over, you're going to get pretty good at that. I feel like in my mandolin playing, I did that when I started. Because I didn't have any, I didn't know any mandolin players. I had had very little time standing across from a mandolin player and watching them play. You know, I had records, but you couldn't see how somebody held the pick or how they moved their hands. And so I just kind of had to figure it out on my own. And eventually I did meet other mandolin players and, 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 you know, took on some of the techniques and suggestions that other people were doing, you begin to copy what other people are doing and that helped my play. But I felt like I was kind of saddled with some, some bad habits. And so I spent a lot of, you know, 10 to 15 years, the majority of my practice time was to try to break old habits and establish new, better habits, new, more efficient ways. And, you know, I wish, Gosh, I wish somebody would have showed me that from the beginning. You know, don't hold your mouth that way when you pick, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. But, but it just, that wasn't the way it was back in the seventies. You know, you had a book with some still pictures in it and you had some records and you went around to some festivals where everybody was playing at 250 million miles an hour. And it was kind of hard to take it in, you know, so you kind of had to figure it out yourself. And then some people managed to figure it out and they became better players and some didn't and they lag behind or quit, you know? So what I'm saying is 
practicing over and over and over and over and over, you may just be practicing, you know, the, the bad, the poor way of doing things. And so that's not going to help your progress. And another problem with continuous practicing, and this is what I mostly want to talk about today, the continuous practice. They're like, all right, I'm, I'm going to get serious about this. I am going to practice an hour a day, every day for 60 days, and I'm going to chart my progress, and I'm going to determine in advance exactly what I'm going to work on. I'm going to work on this scale and that scale and this chord progression and the you know, the A part of this tune and I'm going to play along with this track and you, you got yourself a really good plan. And that's, that's actually a very good idea. And then you start marching through your practice and it seems like every day is the same. It seems like you're doing the same thing over and over and it's boring. It is incredibly boring, you know, compared to like going to a bluegrass festival and cracking open a beer and picking, you know, that's, that's not as boring. And things are gained from that type of practice of laying you out a plan, you know, once in your life, uh, you know, lay out a 60 day plan. I, I, there's a diet book called whole 30 where, you know, all they ask you to do is commit to 30 days of doing whatever's in that book. And, you know, most people don't ever do that. They'll, they make that plan, but then they do three days of it or seven days of it. And they, and then they skip a day and, you know, it's like dieting. It's why most people fail at dieting because they just can't stick with it. So I, I'm not saying don't stick with it, but I am saying that if you practice so frequently, see, let me, let me put it this way. As I view practice, it is your conscious mind determining every motion of your fingers, your arms, you know, your body. Your conscious mind is in control during practice. And the purpose of all that conscious, all that thinking is to train your subconscious mind. It's like... And I've talked about this in, a, in another episode. If you play something 100 times the same way each time, presumably perfectly efficiently, then your subconscious retains that. And later on, the subconscious is able to play back that program, you might say. You're programming the subconscious, and you can just hit the play button. That's how practice works. You're doing a lot of thinking, a lot of analyzing, a lot of observing, corrections, alterations, and repetition, repetition, repetition. And your subconscious is just sitting there like, duh, what is he trying to do here? What, 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 what does he want me to do? You know, and I, I, you know, I talked about the hundred repetitions, you know, if you do it a hundred different ways, your subconscious is like, I have no idea what that guy wants me to do. Every time he plays it, he plays it different. Or if you do it a hundred times the same way, the subconscious self says, he just keeps doing that thing over and over. Maybe I should store that away. He might use that again. He might use that the same way he uses the program for riding a bicycle. If you know how to ride a bike, think about the day you learned to ride a bike or, you know, that week. When your big brother, you know, put you on the bike and shoved you down the hill. That's what happened to me. 
and we had a fence. It was, we lived in Koshokton, Ohio, and there was a big hill. Our backyard went down a hill and there was a fence across the back of the yard with an opening, about a four foot wide opening that if you zoom down the hill and you went through the opening, you crossed an alley and then went into a field across a ditch and then into a field. So my brother puts me on the bike and gives me a shove and down I went. And luckily I I hit the opening and across the gravel alleyway and then down in the ditch where I wiped out and ended up in a briar patch down there. But uh, luckily I was stupid enough to get right back up and drag it back to the top of the hill and try it again. I, I did it all afternoon. I never actually pedaled, but it was just kind of learning how to steer for that opening. Otherwise it would have been like that old joke about, uh, uh, what was it about granny? Don't run. Don't uh, granny. Don't run through the screen door. You might strain yourself. I might've strained myself if I hit that fence. But the point about the bicycling thing is that, if you put a little kid on a bicycle and you start telling him what to do, you know, you, you explain the steps, you know, like, okay, you got to pedal this way to turn it. Yeah. It, uh, all that thinking kind of actually gets in the way of actually doing it. And you may think about it. It's, or a good example is learning to drive a straight stick with a clutch, which is how I learned to drive in a Volkswagen. You know, there's your old man sitting in the passenger seat and you got that brand new learner's permit and you're sitting in the driveway and he says, all right, put your foot on the clutch, push it in. Okay. Turn the key until it starts. No, a little farther, a little farther. You got to get to the starter and then you get it to the starter and you're holding it on the starter and grinding the starter. And he's like, stop, you know, let go of the key. So you get the thing cranked. And then he's trying to explain, hey, get the stupid thing in reverse. So you finally get it in reverse and you're just sitting there. He's saying, keep that clutch and don't let that clutch out. And then he's like, ease out the clutch. And as you do, press a little bit on the gas. And of course, instantly the, the Volkswagen jerks a couple of times and dies. Because you're thinking too much. Then picture yourself 10 years down the road. You know, you hop in the Volkswagen, you fire it up, you burn rubber out the driveway and off you go. You know, you're not thinking about how much to ease out on the clutch and how do you, you know, you're just doing it subconsciously. Same with a bicycle. I don't have to think about bicycle and just get on and start riding. You know, the, the more you think about it, the worse you will do. I, in bowling, it's true too. One night, I think I said this in a podcast, I was on this bowling league. And I had a, you know, like a 125 average, not a good bowler, but I wasn't, I wasn't horrible. Didn't throw them in the gutter that often. And I walked up there one night and I started thinking, now, which foot is it? Do I start on my right or left? I walked up there and threw a gutter ball. And then I threw another gutter ball and then another one. And the more I thought about it, the more screwed up I became. And I remember the score was, I think it was around 30. I got a 30 that game. This is thinking can get in the way. And this is why I'm talking about sometimes too much practice doesn't allow your subconscious time to process and analyze and file and sort and discard and all those things that the subconscious is very good at. Think about when you, uh, 
woke up this morning, maybe you were having a dream. And I've seen this many times where I'm having this dream. And then I, for a few minutes in the morning, I, I'm, I'm sort of conscious of what the dream was about. And invariably, there will be things that happened the day before that are appearing in the dream. Like, oh, yeah, I saw that that log truck was turned over on the highway. And there was something about a log truck in the dream. And it's like all the little collection of data that was taken in through through going through the day. Then when you go to sleep, all that your, your subconscious is just sorting all that junk out, trying to make sense of it. And I think that's what produces dreams. I'm no dream expert, but you've probably had that where you're dreaming about stuff and you go, Oh yeah, yeah. Yesterday. Remember I saw that, you know, the, the mailman brought a big package and, and then I had a dream about a package, you know, it's your subconscious trying to make sense of what you're doing. And, and what I'm getting back to the practice thing, because the subconscious is so ultra important in being able to play music. Ultimately, practice is about teaching the subconscious and then performing is about getting out of your own way. You know, letting your conscious guy just sit over on the side and watch what's going on while the subconscious drives the bus. I'll talk a little bit more about that in, in a moment, but so how do you get out of the way of your subconscious mind? You know, you're training the subconscious training, 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 but you need to give it breaks. You need to give it a rest because if you're constantly inputting all the time, which is over practicing, the subconscious has so much stuff coming in. It just doesn't have time to just relax and process and discard the, the, the funky versions of what you played and keep the things you kept doing over and over. And, you know, you need time to sort things out. You need downtime. You need to shut down and stop practicing periodically to allow your subconscious to catch up. Okay. So during, if you buy into my, you know, conscious mind, subconscious mind theory, the conscious mind is doing the initial training, you know, reading the instruction book, you know, watching the video and you're trying to, you know, put your finger on the third fret, you know, the conscious mind is making those decisions and you're, you're literally telling your second finger to go to the second string, fourth fret. You're telling it to do that because subconscious don't know what you want to do at that point. So you're training the subconscious and you're monitoring it to see if it's behaving, you know, then the subconscious mind during that learning phase, it's just recording. It's just recording everything you do. Everything is just going in there and building this big mound of movements, thoughts, uh, muscle instruction programs, you know, it's just piling up in there. Then when you take a break, when you stop practicing, your subconscious keeps working on that pile and tries to clear out the junk and organize things and so on. So it's very important that you allow time for that process to happen. Now, as you become a better musician with more stored subconscious programs, then it takes on a different character of uh, the conscious mind sort of in that more advanced phase 
The conscious mind sort of just steers the actions, guides, points in certain directions and plans ahead. And you begin to think in larger terms like the A part, you know, instead of this note, followed by this note, followed by this note, by that tricky slide that I always have trouble with. You're not thinking about those because you've practiced them sufficiently to train the subconscious that it can kind of just roll through the A part. And you're kind of thinking about what will I do in the B part? Or your conscious mind is like, how am I hooking up with the other musicians? I mean, you know, how's it, how's it feel, the timing, the tone, you know? So your conscious mind kind of takes on an observer and guide role. And your subconscious, it's handling all of the technical controls of when your finger touches a string, when a pick touches a string, the timing, the coordination of all of your muscles, that is totally, completely handled by the subconscious if you have practiced well. And even if you've practiced poorly, if you've practiced poorly, the subconscious is just going to play back that junk, you know, those programs with a bug in it where you, you keep making, you just cannot play that lick no matter how hard you try. Well, that's because you trained the subconscious to play it that way. It's your own darn fault. You see what I mean? So you want to do your practice very carefully, but you need to give breaks and allow the subconscious to sort out all that stuff. All right. Hang on one second. I need to turn the page on my little notes here. Okay. Here's a, here's a good example. And I've seen this with so many beginners where you teach them a chord, you know, on guitar or banjo or, you know, trying to teach somebody to play an F chord on the banjo or the G chop chord on the mandolin, or just, you know, a C chord on the guitar, whatever. And a beginner, somebody with less than an hour or two hours of time on the instrument, you, you show them the chord and you show them the chord chart. And then they look at the chord chart and they look at the, the guitar, let's say, and they start one by one trying to tell their fingers where to go. Get my ring finger here and my, my index is, kind of moving around and eventually, oh, they put it down, but they're one string over and then they move it over. I mean, they are consciously thinking to get their fingers to go in those spots. Well, that is training the subconscious. And then I say, okay, take your hand off now and shake it. Now put it back on, do it again. And they start over again and they do it a little, little easier. Shake. All right. Take your hand off, shake it out. Now put it back on there. And fiddle around until you find those spots and maybe drop your wrist a little bit and relax your blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm just advising them so that they make more repetitions in the best way possible. I want to program that subconscious in a nice, efficient way of forming the chord. And then just fast forward a month. And then you say, okay, play me a C chord. And they just pop their hand up there and it just falls right into that location. All the muscles are doing the exact same thing they were doing before, but it's all being controlled subconsciously. You learn the subconscious program for a C chord or a C7 or a B minor 7 or a D minor or a, you know, all this stuff becomes little programmed sets of instructions that are telling your muscles what to do. And you don't have to think about it. You know, when Buddy Ashmore steps up the microphone and hits that D chord and starts into whatever. He's not thinking about where to put his fingers, but he did when he was seven years old. He thought about it. He had to look at it and, 
You get what I'm saying? So you want to you want to play back those subconscious programs, but you have to allow them time to form. So by giving your subconscious a little break, you give it processing time, you know, let it do its thing. Let your subconscious go to work. And some ways to allow that might be taking short breaks in the middle of longer practice sessions. So instead of sitting down to play, you know, the A part of old Joe Clark for an hour, which is a good idea to do, play it for 15 minutes, take a 10 minute break, go outside, pet the dog, do something completely unmusical, maybe do some jumping jacks, you know, uh, I wouldn't suggest you go check your Facebook, you know, what you want to do are, are just sort of relax and go, you know, downtime, you know, mental downtime, and then go back and do it for another 15 minutes and then take another break and do it for another 15 minutes and take another break, do it for another 15 minutes, then just quit for the day. Go do something completely different while you are off doing something completely different, like mowing the grass or trimming the bushes feeding the chickens, whatever it is you do in your life, answering emails at work, uh, do something while you are doing that something different, your subconscious, it is not forgetting what you did. It's, it's still in there and it's still working on it. It's still processing what you did. So if you played, you know, worked on switching from a G chord to a C chord to a D chord, back and forth on your guitar and you're that guitar beginner and you take a break from it and you go off and, you know, pull weeds in the monkey grass. And then you come back in during that monkey grass time, your subconscious was still working and processing those things. And it also happens while you sleep. And now another way to, to do this is to kind of in, in longer time frames. Let's say you, you set up a practice um, schedule, you know, and you, you got well-defined things that you're trying to make progress on, like a piece. I want to learn to play this or this and this and this. That's what I'm going to practice solidly. I can always get better at those things. And when I get better at those things, that'll make me better at everything. You know, so you've defined what you're going to practice and you practice really strongly for three weeks with those little intermittent breaks. And then you take a week off. You don't open the case for a week. And you might think, oh, if I do that, I'm, I'm going to back up. I, I'm going to lose all the things that I learned. No, I, I don't think you will. Not in a week. You're not going to forget how to ride a bike by not getting on a bike in a week. You've built these subconscious programs and with good practice techniques, you've repeated things as, as, you know, as perfectly as you can, as correctly as you can. You've tried to build up as many repetitions of that as possible. And during that week off, you're given the subconscious the opportunity to toss out all the, uh, all the uh, inaccurate attempts and all the faulty copies of the thing you're trying to learn. You're giving it time to discard it because you're not coming back and doing it again. 
you know? So now it's got to make decisions. Your subconscious has got to say, well, now that one thing where he plopped his finger down right on top of the fret and it made that sort of funky sound. I wonder if he wants that, you know, I don't know. He only did it twice and he did it this other way where his finger was two millimeters toward the nut. He did that like 87 times. Hmm. Let's keep that one. Let's ditch the other one. But if you just pick up the instrument again immediately and start playing a bunch of random things, which it is random. I mean, as much as you think your technique may be perfect, there is still randomness. There are still variations in the exact placement of your fingers and the exact timing of your pick striking the string and how deep into the pick you are. These things vary within a, a range. And so what you're striving for is to that bell curve. You're trying to get like 80% of the things to be in the preferred zone and very few to be out in the, the, the no good zone. You need to give your subconscious time to delete the poor attempts and bad practicing. And it's relaxing too, because all that thinking and all that concentration and all that attempts, and it can be very stressful. Just take, take a break. You know, sometimes the best thing you can do for your playing is just quit for a while. You know, I don't suggest you quit for six months at a time because then your subconscious may say, well, I don't know. Maybe he is more interested in pulling weeds in the monkey grass. Maybe I should start storing that stuff and, all that mallon playing, fiddle playing stuff. I don't know. He's just not using it. So I don't suggest you take huge breaks off. Now you could do this on an, on a kind of a larger scale in terms of time frame. You could pour yourself into six months of diligent daily practice with, with the little breaks I talked about and then take a month off, just completely take a month off, go hiking. Go do something that has nothing to do with music at all. Leave your instrument at home. Don't take it backpacking. Leave it at home. Go to a museum. Do some things that you don't normally do. Maybe go to some concerts of some, maybe some different kind of music. Something that is not what you're into. You might be super into like, you know, bluegrass. Well, maybe go to a cello concert or something, you know, go hear a Celtic band, do some, you know, kind of release your mind. So it's just not constantly dwelling on that one thing over and over and over. Listen to some new records. You know, that's a good time to be listening to music. It sometimes is not a good idea while you're in the heat of practicing that, you know, you're in that practice, 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 practice mode. If you start listening to intersperse every practice with those tapes of Earl or Bela Fleck or Chris Thiele, it may just depress you or you just want to quit because you're not going to see that rapid progress and you're not going to turn into Chris Thiele overnight. So maybe you just need to take a break from that. Don't clutter your subconscious mind up with all this fabulous playing. You know, maybe just watch the grass grow. Go rake the leaves, you know. Take a walk, read a book. I'll give you a good book that you, that you should read. Uh, read Moby Dick by Herman Melville. It was one of the first big um, hot sellers of American um, 
Well, it was a, an extremely popular book when it came out, and it still is to this day. And it's a great book, especially if you want to um, get into the idea of <laughs> the downside of obsessions. And I guess all I'm saying is it is important to obsess over music if you want to make progress, but you can't let it become a mental illness, okay? You don't want to be Ahab chasing the white whale, you know? It's it's not going to have a happy ending. And talk about a tormented guy, you know? So practice diligently for five months. I mean, just really pour everything you've got into, you know, perfect practice. And then take a month off, you know? <laughs> Go to the mountains and read Moby Dick, you know? Try something different. And then when you come back, you're still going to retain the good stuff. It's still going to be in there. Those programmed things and some new insights, which even your conscious mind is unaware of. Because your subconscious is aware of a whole lot of things that you don't have any idea about. Your subconscious is picking up things from this podcast that your conscious mind don't even realize is there. I'm putting things into this podcast subconsciously that I'm not even aware of. Do you follow what I'm saying? But your subconscious takes all this stuff in. And when you give it a break, sometimes it will synthesize new ideas, new ways of that you didn't think about and that book didn't tell you and that video didn't tell you. As, as good as my books and videos are, they don't tell you everything. Sometimes things just have to sort of gel. You know, I've watched my son playing the piano and I, I, at one time I tried to, um, encourage him to think about chord progressions because they're, they're ever present in music. And he was doing a lot of composing, writing his own stuff in Sibelius and composing all these crazy things and just, and studying scores. And he goes to the library and at, over to college and he checks out these orchestral scores that's what he brings home and reads. He's, you know, sitting there looking through these scores and stuff. And so I kind of gave him a little push, like, you know, let me show you how to make a major chord and a minor chord starting on any note and da da da. And it just wasn't taking. It just wasn't registering at all. He just wasn't interested in doing that. And then he sat down one day and he was playing a little piece out of his, his, um, the piano teacher's book. He was practicing one of the pieces that they had sent home. And, you know, it's a one chord, major chord, then a four chord, then a five, then back to one. And then it goes to the four and then a four augmented. And he, when he played that, you could just see a light bulb going off in his head. I saw it. And he began to practice that piece over and over and over. And every time he would, augment that four chord and then go to the five. I could just see he just really liked the sound of those chords. And so a couple days later, I was uh, fooling around with my fiddle. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm going to uh, take a little side and tell you what I think is kind of a funny story. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I posted, I'll put a little link on Facebook and on Twitter. Every time I put out a podcast, just tell people, Hey, you know, Got a new podcast, and here it is. And once in a while, about every third week or so, I'll go to some of the groups, like the mandolin group, and there's one called Absolute Beginners Mandolin or something like that. Sometimes I'll 
share it over there. Okay. So I did that um, a couple weeks ago and a few people made comments like, Hey, thumbs up. And you know, like the podcast and I bought your video on whatever. And it was great. And you know, stuff like it, people were interjecting, you know, little comments and I was just looking at them and, you know, hitting like on a couple of them. And I saw one and it just cracked me up because whoever this is, and you know, I, I don't know the person, um, wrote, by the way, Mr. Laird, that's me is also an amazing fiddle player. And I was like, I'm the worst fiddle player in the world. I, and I didn't even correct her. I, I was like, well, I don't really know what to say. I kind of hate to burst her bubble. I'm no fiddle player. I've said that in this podcast before. I've never, never played fiddle at a gig. I don't think I've ever taken it to a gig. I've had one. It was the first instrument that bluegrass instrument that I attempted to play. And I've had a fiddle for years, 45 years. I've had a fiddle and I still play it pretty much the same way I did when I picked it up and scratched out, you know, uh, boil him cabbage down and old Joe Clark. I am a rotten fiddle player. And the reason that I'm a rotten fiddle player is because I spent 45 years practicing doing something else. I, I often think back and go, you know, if I had pulled that fiddle out every day for 45 years, you know, I might be able to, you know, play some that Baker stuff or, you know, but if you just, if you recoil from your own sound, you play it and you go, Ooh, this is horrible. And then you just put it back in the case. Cause you don't want to punish yourself. You're not going to get any better. You have to push through that, you know? So anyway, I'm sort of started starting to lose my train of thought here, but the, the lady was completely wrong in saying that, you know, I was a good fiddle player, but it got me thinking about, well, you know, I talk all the time about, you know, if you practice and, you know, you can teach an old dog new tricks and all stuff. So I got this wild idea. I thought, well, I'm gonna, why don't I test my, all my brainy theories on myself? I'm going to get the fiddle out. I'm going to get it out, tune it up. Rosin the bow. I actually got like three fiddles laying around because I do love the fiddle, but I hate to hear me play it. You know what I'm saying? That might be you with your instrument. You may, you may love the mandolin, but just can't stand to hear yourself play it. And I thought I am going to get the fiddle out and I'm going to choose me a tune and I'm going to practice that thing the way I tell everybody else to practice. And let's just see if it works. So I selected a tune. It was off a Kenny Baker record. It's called Make a Little Boat. And I've listened to this tune a whole bunch of times. And I, I got a friend of mine that's a good fiddle player, and I've heard him play it. And some of those other Baker tunes. And I just really liked the little tune, and I thought, eh, that doesn't sound too difficult. So I sat down, and I began to figure it out. And I realized it's actually very difficult when you don't know how to play a fiddle. You know, that's me. Sorry, lady. I'm not a great fiddle player. I should probably go back on there and post something on there. I should put a, I should put a video of me playing the fiddle and just post that in response to her comment. But I don't want to make her. She's obviously confused me with someone else like Stuart Duncan or something. Uh, I'm nowhere, nowhere like that uh, on the fiddle. Anyway, so I, I just thought that that spurred me. Maybe, I, maybe I could play a fiddle and God, I wish I could play a fiddle. Well, wishes, you know what they say, you know, if wishes were horses, wishes ain't going to make it happen. 
So I decided, well, I'll just practice. So I have for the last two weeks, two weeks every day, practiced the fiddle for one hour. And I've so far, I've only played the A part to make a little boat. And it's pretty bad. I, I sent a tape of it to my buddy, Mike Estes, the fiddle player. I actually sent him a request. I said, can you look at this? Here's the, here's the sheet music for this thing. Could you mark all the down, down bows for me? Because every time I play this, I play it different. Sometimes I'm up on, sometimes I'm down. I don't know what I'm doing. He marked, he put a few markings on there and sent it back to me. So I started at least getting my down bows where a good fiddle player would put his down bows. I thought, you know, that's probably a good, good policy here. And what I've done in practicing this is I have split my time. I will do approximately 15 minutes of extremely slow practice. Really thinking, thinking, thinking about those, you know, direction changes in the bow and about all the little things that, you know, make for good tone or bad tone, you know, trying to stop the bow from bouncing and anyway, just going very slowly and tuning too, because putting your fingers down on the, on the fingerboard of a violin is not exactly where you put them for a mandolin. Although I know my, I can navigate, I, I'm not playing in tune very well. So I'm going really slowly. Then I take a little break and then I do it again at a more reasonable, you know, kind of a little more up-tempo to kind of test the subconscious. See, all right, how well did that program stick? And look, I'm going to tell you flat out after two weeks, it's still pretty bad. I might put, maybe I'll end this show with just a, just a few seconds because I don't want to punish you. Just a few seconds of, I've recorded this every day too, by the way, of like day one and then like day 12 or something. Just to show you, I'm, I'm beginning to hear a bit of progress, but it's a long, I mean, I'm, I'm a long way from, you know, being to where anybody would ever go, Mr. Laird is also a great fiddle player. <laughs> Anyway, so I'm just trying to apply the same things that I suggest to you. And all I really want to make sure that you think about is that from time to time, give it a rest. Let your subconscious do the sorting and analyzing that it is so good at doing. Take a break. And I think it'll help your play. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this podcast, and please forgive me for the audio punishment which you are about to hear. <laughs> Y'all take care, and I'll talk to you in the next podcast. A part of Make a Little Boat. Okay, I'm continuing my A part practice to make a little boat. I'm playing it approximately an hour per day, and I'm trying to divide the time, about half the time, at playing it very slowly and carefully, and the other half just trying to uh, push the speed a little bit and see if I can, you know, test the subconscious. So, anyway, here goes... Um,
today's attempt, or the, today's documentation. This is about, this is probably about day, day 12. All right, here we go. <clears throat> Let's start again. It seems like as soon as I turn the recorder on, I play worse. <laughs> <laughs> 